Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It's Wednesday, close to 3 p.m. here, November 16th. The Hurricanes are coming off a 35-14 victory at Georgia Tech. They're getting ready to face Clemson, 19.5-point underdogs in that game. Clemson's uh, trying to keep itself in position to reach the college football playoff. I've got Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast back with us. To uh, do our little usual midweek conversation, Carlos, the last time you and I hooked up was uh, last Friday when I was in uh, my hotel room in Georgia, and we talked about um, everything that went on as far as Jaden Rashada and Miami's future quarterback situation. Then uh, Jakari Brown takes the field against Georgia Tech and really, I thought, was really impressive in that game. Finishes 14 of 19 passing through for, I think, 136 yards, three touchdowns. And then the really most impressive thing about him was that he ran for 87 yards and was explosive and was high-stepping and was hurdling. He played with the kind of swagger that the old-school Canes kind of played with. And then afterward, the things he talked about, about you know telling the uh, freshmen in the 2022 class, it's on us to turn things around. I thought it was sort of a, a really important moment for Miami football in the sense that they're getting your asses handed to you by your biggest rival. You come back, you play a great game, and the young players, the, the future are the ones that lead you to that victory. Well, and it's no surprise that that's been the case this year. The the young guys and the guys that Mario brought in through the transfer portal uh, are the guys that have been leading the charge. And I think also the ones that are stepping up as well, the sophomores, the guys that were came that came in last year in that recruiting class uh, through Manny Diaz's last class here, like James Williams, Cam Kitchens, those kinds of guys. Cam Kitchens, of course, had a great game with that hat trick with the three interceptions, finally playing to his potential, uh, learning how to get over the top on deep routes. That's critical. I mean, it, it's taken all season, but at least we learned a little some. And uh, we're starting to execute, which which was nice. And I think for me, the most important thing about Jakari's performance uh, on Saturday was that he was he was confident. He didn't seem shaken. He didn't seem like any of the moments within that game were too big for him. He seemed to control the entire time. Um, he didn't turn the ball over. He really didn't have any turnover worthy throws or situations. And and he played tough, man. He looks like a grown ass man out there too. He's 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 a freshman, but he's a big kid. And I you know I'm excited for the future with him. And and we uh we saw Josh Gaddis talk about it a little bit and. And it's been raised in other in your article and other other articles that he still needs to work on his touch a little bit and work on his deep ball. And I think that'll come with time. I think guys, especially in the moment when you, when adrenaline's pumping and, and you get so excited, you see a wide open guy. And remember, this guy hasn't really worked with with these receivers very much. He was trying to throw a deep ball to Xavier Restrepo, who's been out and who's been with the first team, which Shakari's never really worked with too much, and Colby Young, who's been a late riser now here in the end. So. Over time, he'll as more reps get in practice, he gets more reps. He'll he'll get more confident, more comfortable with these guys, and he gets a better grasp for the offense. I think you should see those carry numbers go down. Ideally, that's what you want. You want his carry numbers to go down and have to be more of a threat than an actual run uh, asset because you don't want to have him get banged up too much. 
And then what it's done really for the run game on, on Saturday was open it up because now you have to account for all 11 players on the field uh, on defense. And, and that allowed the running game to get open because they had to assign defenders to Jakari and, and that allowed the offensive line to open a few, a few more gaps. Yeah, I want to stick with Jakari here and we'll get into other subjects. A couple other things just to hit on, you know, Gilbert Frierson uh, announced last night that uh, on, on social media, on his Twitter account, that he's going to be uh, transferring out uh, at the end of the season on December 5th. Um, you know, I heard last night as well, Thad Franklin's no longer a part of the program. Uh, I think he walked out on, on, on the, on a practice or something of that uh, nature. And, and so he's not expected back. There's going to be guys that, that aren't going to be a part of this team moving forward. We talked about that last Friday. I told you I had some conversations with different people at the university. So things are starting to move. You know, the transfer period opens December 5th. There's a big window there. There's another one in February, uh, heading into the springtime where, where guys can start to look for new schools. Everything's a little bit more organized with that. But the, but the bottom line is don't be surprised if there's more guys here in, in the next couple of weeks that maybe you're like, well, where's this guy? And where's that guy? And where, why isn't he playing? Um, as, as people come back from injuries and, and you know, the season wraps up here, uh, there's going to be departures and, and there's going to be, you know, new faces in there. And we saw it at, at Georgia Tech. But let's stick with Jakari here for a minute, because to me, um, he's the most interesting story of all this. You need a quarterback to win, Carlos. And yeah. I, I just put out a huge mailbag answering Miami questions from last week. Um, and a lot of it was on Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator. Um, and I get it. He's important. That's probably the most important job on the team besides head coach every single year, right? Can you get a guy that that calls the right plays, knows how to utilize his talent? I think the most important thing after that is quarterback. And is, does that quarterback fit your system? Does he run what you want to run? Um, you mentioned the effect that he had on the running game. Everybody had to worry about him as a runner. I think in college football, Unless you're Alabama or another program that has some elite offensive linemen year in and year out, you have to have mobility at the quarterback position because most guys have to be able to escape pressure. And the thing that impressed me most about Jakari last Saturday, as I watched him out in the freezing cold, by the way, sitting in that outdoor press box. Freezing? Um, Wasn't it like 55, bro? Hey, hey, it's freezing for this Floridian. Okay. Yeah, and then it got into too. the 40s. Me too. Um, I, I would have been out there in like uh, my apple bottom <laughs> jeans and my boots with the fur. Uh, yeah, I didn't have any fur for my boots, and I didn't even have boots. I had my uh, little Under Armour sneakers, Ooh. but I was freezing my ass off watching them. But the thing that impressed me the most, Carlos, you mentioned how he can take a hit. Um, I just thought his decision-making was excellent, yeah. and that's such an important part of this all. Um, he did, He wasn't phased, and, and you know Georgia Tech kept coming with pressure the entire game from all different kinds of angles. They were number two in the country in forcing turnovers heading into last week's game. And he didn't force any balls. And the most impressive throw of all, I thought, came in, in, in third or fourth quarter when Miami was kind of buried deep in their own territory. It's definitely the second half where he evaded some pressure, rolled out, kept yep. his eyes down the field. And threw that and, strike on the sideline. Yeah, to Frank Ladson for about, I don't know, what was it, 20, 23-yard gain. That play right there showed me this isn't a runner. This is a quarterback. And he talked about that after the game, that he wants to be – a quarterback. He doesn't want to put his harm, his, his body in harm's way. Um, he's more conscientious of that. He seems like a complete quarterback. And to me, you got to find QB one before you do anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I think his decisions, especially in the RPO game and the zone read stuff were very good. I thought maybe once or twice he he should have uh, pulled or given uh, when he, when he did the opposite. But other than that, I thought his decision-making was great in, in those run schemes. And also in the passing game, like you said, he didn't force any balls. Um, 
he was inaccurate on a couple throws. One of them was uh, inexcusable, which was one of those quick screens, I think, to Colby Young, which is he sailed over his head. But I think, you know, again, that's just a young guy being overly excited and hyped up in the game. And those things tend to happen. Um, he also had a, a pass, you know, a, a intentional grounding penalty, which he'll learn from, which I was totally okay with because, again, that's a young guy. He's learning. He'll figure that kind of stuff out. But the, the positives far outweigh the negatives with this guy. And to see him step into a situation where, You've seen, uh, you know, a Heisman hopeful candidate and Tyler Van Dyke, the leader of your team last year, get hurt, have a have a struggle throughout the season, have some big moments, but then slip back. Uh, see Jake Garcia struggle with turnovers, and then you're going to your third string quarterback, not knowing what you're going to get out of the kid, and the kid delivers. And I think for me, that sort of courage and bravery from that kid and that leadership uh, is is a rare quality. He wasn't phased at all, and that to me was the most impressive thing. Yeah, and and I think you know he's obviously going to start these last two games. Uh, I don't think Tyler Van Dyke is anywhere near healthy. I know Mario's trying to sell that story down the stream so that Clemson's got to prepare for an extra quarterback uh, going into this game. But the reality is, uh, you know, Tyler, as much as he might want to come back and play, uh, if I'm him, I'm not going out there with this offensive line, you know, in this no. sort of situation against against Clemson and, and the defensive front that they have. So. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm about 99.9% positive Jakari is going to start this next game. And there's no reason really to go to Jake unless he starts turning the ball over left and right. And even then you, you're going to a quarterback who was turning the ball over left and right Yep. Um, for that Pittsburgh game. So look, ESPN only gives Miami uh, a 48.5% chance of finishing six and six and locking in a bowl game. Um, Pittsburgh's probably going to be favored over Miami. It depends on, on this, how this Clemson game goes on Saturday and how, how close Miami can keep it. But the reality is that Miami might not be a bowl team. Still, I'd like to see Jakari get the bulk of the snaps down the stretch here. Uh, Tyler, we know what he can do. I think he, with, with, a, with a better offensive line, uh, some more playmakers at the receiver position, and, and the right kind of offense for him, I think he can be an NFL quarterback. Um, but right now, this isn't the team for him to play on. No, um, you know, it, it's it's a shame because he, he did such a great job at the end of last year once he finally got it all together. And then again, this year, once he got things rolling again, he looked good. Um, but it just it just doesn't seem like a right fit. And you don't want to send a guy out there in a situation where he could be putting his health at risk, putting his career at risk. And, and maybe sometimes, you know, things run their course, you know, just like in life, sometimes friendships, relationships, people come to your life for a season. It's great for a while. And then Sometimes you can part amicably and say, listen, it's just not working out for us. And it's time to go our separate ways. Like Journey said. <laughs> and that's OK. Um, and yeah, it's OK it with Tyler. And I, and I wish him the best. And I think he really does need to move on somewhere where he can make that final push for the NFL and give the scouts one last look for an entire season at what he's capable. Of. And I think Jake is gone, too. I don't think Jake can stay here for his mental health. Um, <clears throat> Miami's going to look in the portal. Uh, if that happens, if those two things happen, if Tyler decides he wants to go someplace else. Uh, or go to the NFL, or if Jake decides he's going to go some, someplace else. Miami, yes, they have a, a true freshman lined up, uh, and Emory Williams will be coming in, who I know the coaching staff loves and thinks that he's just as good as Jaden Rashada. But I think ultimately, uh, you know, they're going to have to find a veteran quarterback just to bring in here, which is fine because oh, there's, yeah. always, there's always plenty available. Like I said, December 5th is the big date for you to have in mind. That's when everything becomes official, guys moving in and whatnot. Um I had a couple of mailbag questions that I thought were sort of interesting topics, Carlos, for us to discuss on the show. One, let's check it out because some of these go off the rails. Let's go. It, Fingers yeah. crossed. Well, one of these is kind of big picture and it's kind of the perfect way. And Andrew F is one of my loyal uh, readers who always sends in questions whenever I do mailbags. Over this there. isn't Ferrelli, is it? No, this is not Andrew Ferrelli. Uh, it's it's Ferrelli undercover is what it is. Uh, it might be. You're, you're right. I haven't really looked into it. 
Um, realistically, how long of a climb does Miami have until it is a top 15 team? Um, this was an interesting question because to me, I think that's what everybody wants, right? When are they back to being relevant? When can they push for one of those 12 playoff spots in the years to come? My answer and my thought process is I think they can be a top 15 team as early as next year because of the transfer portal and because there are examples of programs that have turned things around quickly. TCU was four and eight last year. Right now they're in the college football playoff as the fourth team. Uh, USC has a chance to get there. Uh, Tennessee was seven and six last year. You have examples of programs that can turn it around quickly from mediocrity to very, very good. But to me, the safer approach in all of this is to say 2024, um, because you're going to have to, you know, we have to a, see what what coaching changes are going to be. Is he going to hold on to his coordinator? Uh, is Jakari Brown going to be the quarterback moving forward? Um, can they get the playmakers they need on the outside to come in and be immediate impacts? All of those things are are important, big picture. But a couple of things to keep in mind here. And I did the research on this. I, you know, I'm a research guy. I love coming on here and and sharing this. If you look at the top 20 teams in the college football playoff rankings, 10 are led by coaches in the first, second, or third year of their respective programs. So that's a hopeful sign, right? You can do it quickly. You don't need to wait four years, five years, six years to do it. The secret, though, to all of this is 15 of the top 20 programs ranked in those same in that same college football playoff rankings are in the top 25 of the 247 sports team, team talent composite. The five outliers, UCLA, who's 27th, TCU, who's 32nd, Utah, who's 33rd, UCF, who's 36th, and Kansas State, who's 70th. Um, good news. Miami's 13th. I don't think they're going to slip. Uh, too far down from that, even with the transfers, they're going to be leaving this program and with the influx of talent that's coming in. So I think they will continue to be in that range that you need to be. Um, scoring points, this is the big one. Can they do that? Of the top 20 teams, 17 score 34 points or more and rank in the top 30 in points per game. The outliers, LSU, 32.6 points per game. They do have that kid, Harold Perkins, who's pretty good on defense. Uh, Kansas State, 30.6 points per game. They're 49th. They are 7-3. I don't know how they're really top 20 program. And then Notre Dame, uh, 29.7, and they're 57th in scoring. Um, and then, of course, quarterback, which is why we are discussing all of this. Of the same 20 teams, 14 have passers ranked in the top 32 for quarterback rating. Last year, I think Tyler Van Dyke was in that group. This year, he's 69th. Um, the outliers. Oh, good number. The outliers. Jackson Dart, who's 39th, LSU's Jaden Daniels, who's 43rd, John Reese Plumley from UCF, who's 47th, DJ Uyunglele, who is 48th, uh, this next week's, this Saturday's opponent, uh, Penn State's Sean Clifford, who's 52nd, and then Kansas State's Adrian Martinez, who's 74th. So the whole point here, going back to what I just talked about, you got to score points, you got to have talent, you got to have a good quarterback. Pretty simple. Formula hasn't changed, Carlos. Well, I think there's one part of the formula you're missing, and that's I got to have a good offensive line. Uh, I think you can have an athletic quarterback, and that can help. But to really be a top 15 team, top 10 team, to contend for a playoff spot, your offensive line has to be damn good. It, it can't just be okay. And and you know, athletic quarterbacks cover some of that stuff up. They could extend plays. They could add a guy into the run game, make the defense account for 11. But if you can't block, you're not running anything. It doesn't matter. And you got to be able to have time to get the ball off. And I think you see – what Georgia has done with a guy like Stetson Bennett, who's not necessarily overwhelming talent-wise, he's a good quarterback. By and you know, he's 26, by, by the way, in QBR. Just so you know, right? 
but he's not he's not let's say a world beater at quarterback he's not a first round draft pick he's a good solid college quarterback but when you have an offensive line like Georgia's that gives him clean pockets opportunities to look down the field and make plays that makes a huge difference so that's a, a good balancing act there you got to have a good quarterback but you have a good offensive line also if you have the two together then you can those make each of those exponentially better because your athletic quarterback that's pretty good can make that offensive line look better and that offensive line that has an okay quarterback can make it look really good if he's got time to throw in the pocket uh, so those things go hand in hand. And I think the other thing is when we talk about quick one-year turnarounds or turnarounds from one season to the next, from being mediocre, average to below average, to being you know top 15, top 20 team, yes, you can have that within one season, but how many teams sustain that for a long time? You will see teams in the transfer portal go out and get a bunch of guys Go seven and you know seven five one year, and then the next year they go nine and three, ten and two, but then they fall off a cliff again if they can't restore that, uh, replenish that talent pool through the transfer portal again, or if they haven't laid the groundwork through recruiting. And I think what Mario's looking for is not just to be top fifteen. That's not his goal. His goal is to be a playoff team. His goal is to be a top four playoff team, not a top twelve playoff team. His goal is to compete compete for national championships moving forward, and that is going to require more work. Than just you know adding a bunch of talent right now where we can plug a bunch of holes and look good for one season and then it falls off a cliff. He wants to add talent in the right spots to yes be successful year to year, but build this for the long term as well. So for him, that's why recruiting is the foundation because those are the guys that are going to stick with the program ideally long term, build the sort of foundation culturally, athletically, uh, and, and leadership wise for the future. So that continues to grow year after year after year after year. That's why it may take till year three to really be a consistent top 15, top 10 program. You might see a jump next year based on whatever happens, whoever the quarterback is or how many guys we get in the transfer portal and who he's got on that offensive line. But if you look at it down the road, based on what he's got right now in terms of recruiting, if you don't think the offensive line recruits are going to be able to be uh, frontline starters next year or be highly effective in year one, then the following year is a year when that offensive line is going to look really good. You're going to have the third year of Jakari Brown. You're going to have a bunch more weapons over time added. Your defense is probably going to be solid as well over time as you've added talent. So year three is a year that you probably look for a big jump. I think this this job here at Miami is more like Texas than it is other jobs that we've seen like USC, TCU, things like that. Because there was so much wrong going on within the culture, the, the program institutionally and culturally at Texas that it took this guy, um, <clears throat> Sarkeesian, to come in, rip everything out in year one, take those lumps, and then restart things, and then starting to slowly go back uphill. Yeah, it, it, it takes time, and I think it's a fair comparison. You, you've mentioned Michigan before, right, with Harbaugh. It took him a while to yep. get there. I think that the, the, the benefit of you're a Miami fan looking at this is the 12-team playoff. You're, you you won't have to wait that long for Miami to be potentially top 12 good. Now, what does that mean? That means probably winning 10, 11 games on a yearly basis. So you keep replenishing um, the recruits, kids want to keep getting here and coming here. And I and I think that's the whole thing with Mario. I thought Mario had some interesting comments today because uh, Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, my former colleague, asked him specifically about parents who criticize him. And, and Keyshawn Smith's mother uh, was one who recently did. She criticized uh, Josh Gaddis, right, and, and put that out on social media. And Mario, of course, didn't speak specifically to Keyshawn. I asked, I said, Is Ke why, you know, Keyshawn hasn't played the last two games. What's up with him? He basically said, look, you know, we play the guys who do the right things in practice and off the field. But asked specifically about parents and criticism. Mario basically said, look, anybody who's not happy with playing time here, they can stop by and pick up their kids and leave if they want to do that. He's not and, playing games, bro. And, and that's the whole thing, which carries on to another point here, which is Jalen Knighton. 
which to me is is a perfect example of Mario, right? The Mario effect. Um, he fumbled three times before he got back into the rotation this week, essentially because Miami was without their leading rusher, Henry Parrish. But Mario still made him earn it. He could have given the ball to Lucius Stanley. Instead, yeah. he benched him and 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 didn't allow Jalen to get on the field much at all. Jalen could have been like some of these other guys and gone in the tank and said, that's it, I'm transferring, I'm leaving here. But he even talked about it, how he had to earn it back. I've heard that from several players this week on Zoom calls about, you know, Jaleel Skinner mentioning how, no, 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 I didn't get playing time. I had to earn it. We heard Manny Diaz talk about that, right, when he was here, uh, the right mentality, guys who want to earn the playing time. Now Mario, it seems, is, is, is if you want to say a, an overwhelming te- takeaway, right, from a cultural standpoint, that's what he means. He talks about earning playing time. Well, you screw up, you're not going to play. And I think that's one thing you can appreciate about the, the five and five season with Mario is that he's he's got a couple of examples of that on this team now. Yeah, and he's not just talking about it. He's doing it, right? Because right. Manny talked all he wanted about having to earn stuff back, but the night before the FIU game, <laughs> your boy Jaron Williams was out partying, got caught smoking weed, and my man was on the field the next day pissing the game away. Right. So guys were also, late for team meetings all the time, late for you know individual he, meetings. He also quit one week and was thrown back in the game to end the game to win it. I think it was against Pitt, but it, you know how it goes. I mean, all that stuff, coaches can say all these things and, and make it seem like they're running a disciplined program, but the, the proof is in the pudding, and Mario doesn't give a shit. And we said this before the season even started. Mario is willing to take losses if it means proving a point, if it means instituting the right culture in his program. He's What he wants to do is instill that he is the leader and his way goes, and that's the only way it's going to be. And if you want to tank, you tank. That's on you. If I'm going to take a loss, I'll take a loss. Because I'm not going here. I got 10 years, 80 million. They're not firing my ass for quite some time. You, on the other hand, my friend, are on a one-year renewable scholarship, and I could kick you out anytime I want. So let's see who's going to last here longer. And that's basically the way he's doing it. And the great thing about it is there are, there are guys that would have folded, like you said. There are guys that would have tucked tail and run when Mario forced them to earn things back, especially a guy like Jaden Knighton, who was so important to this team down the stretch last year and who was a highly recruited guy um, <clears throat> down here in South Florida. But Jalen took it. He took the the teaching, he took the coaching, he went through it, and he came back a better player. And there was a small moment in that game that you saw that pay off, and you saw the coaches and the people on the sideline, the guys on the sideline, react to Jalen Knighton's uh, actions, where they were like, yes, this is what we're talking about. He ran the ball to the left sideline. One of the, uh, gosh, who the hell, Georgia Tech players came off to the sideline, and then as he was running out of bounds, the guy tried to strip the ball from him. And Jalen Knighton tucked it to his chest, and the ball didn't even move. And everybody came up to him, slapping him on the back on the helmet, going crazy because they're like, yes, this is what we've been working on. Ball security at all times. Look, he's getting the lesson. He's learning. He's taking the coaching. And that was a small microcosm of that bigger thing that we're talking about. Yeah, and, and you need to do that as a coach. That's part of instituting uh, culture. I get it. There's going to be a lot of people saying negative things here because players are going to be transferring here in the next couple of weeks. I've, I've been warning you. I've been saying this on this podcast multiple times. There are going to be some guys who say, man, that's a good player. Why is he leaving? Again, this is what you need to do to, to change the culture of a program. You need to get the right kind of uh, players into your program, the guys that you think you can win with, the guys you think that are, are going to put in the kind of effort uh, that Cam Kitchens does, right? You talked about those three interceptions that he had. Mario spent all week talking about how Kitchens is always in there studying, spends more time than anybody else. Uh, and, and I heard that from other people on the staff before Mario ever became coach here, that that was the kind of kid Cam Kitchens was. 
Uh, if you're going to turn this program around, you need to have those kind of influences, those kind of leaders. And then those guys have to go out on Saturday and do what Cam Kitchens does, because that's how he gets people to follow him. Wait a minute. Right. He had three and Cam kids. had his struggles, too. Remember, Cam <laughs> right. got beat down the field yeah. a few times this year. Hey. And he finally learned. Manny Diaz might still be coach if he didn't get beat over the top against Florida State. Hey, what do you have to bring that one up? That's unfair. Hey, listen, that, those are part of it, man, right? We're having honest conversations here. Uh, that was part of it. By the way, getting back to my original point about scoring points, I know people love the shit on Mario and say he was a terrible uh, offensive coach at Oregon. His team scored better than 31 points a game in his four seasons there. They were ranked 42nd or better in scoring each year. Um, and they had two quarterbacks finish in the top 20. It wasn't just Justin Herbert. Tyler uh, Show uh, in, in 2020 finished 15th. So, um, this team's averaging 25.7 points per game, which is 85th. Um, somebody on, on the mailbag asked me, is this, you know, is Josh Gaddis the worst offensive coordinator and blah, 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 blah. Um, I think people forget Patrick Nix and they, and they forget Mark Denofrio on defense as, as two coordinators who I think were, were far worse and, and unqualified to be here. Yeah, listen, there, there was a bunch of guys. Uh, you know, Nix obviously stands out at the top, but a lot of guys have struggled down here uh, at Miami. And I think recently the reasons they've struggled is because the offensive line play, I think, over the last 10 years has been subpar. And and this is why one of the reasons why Mario's gone out on the portal and even the defensive line play at the tackle spot specifically, they've he's gone out and he's tried to bulk both sides of the lineup because he knows that's where games are won, right? And, and listen, for all the stuff that we've said about Josh Gaddis and – He's had his moments. He's been up and down. And I think for most of the season, he's done a good job calling plays within the 20s. Uh, he struggled in the red zone some. This past Saturday, I thought he called a great game. I really mm -hmm. do. Considering the circumstances, considering the injuries on the offensive line at the skill positions, being down a receiver in, in Keyshawn Smith for whatever reason, being down your starting running back, starting a freshman quarterback, um, all those things. He called an excellent game where he kept things simple, but at the same time, was deceptive in the way he was running things and and really maximized Jacurry Brown's skill set. There was a, a series in the second quarter, I forget if it was the second time they scored, where on one play, Jacurry Brown faked left. They pulled the garden tackle from the left side to the right side to lead for him, but the backside defensive end crashed hard and ended up tackling Jacurry Brown from behind. Well, two plays later, Josh Gaddis runs that same action, but runs something back to the other side where he takes advantage of that crashing defensive end and the Hurricanes get a big play. And that's the kind of stuff I saw on Saturday that I hadn't seen enough throughout the season where Josh Gaddis was countering what the defense was doing and really using his skills and his weapons and using the same actions he uses on different plays to create conflict for the defense. And I thought he did a really good job on Saturday. Um, kind of hearkening back to the question of how quickly Miami can turn things around next year. Could they be a top 15? Oh, that's program? right. Sorry, I forgot about that. Maybe next year if they get enough in the portal, but more than likely the year after. <laughs> Hargeting back. We've hit on a lot of subjects here. We've kind listen, of bro. You get me going. I can't stop, man. No, listen. Uh, twenty twenty three schedule. I don't know if you've taken a look at it, but it's kind of interesting because with the with the remake of the ACC schedule, right, where you get the three common opponents every single year, right? Miami's going to play Boston College, Louisville, and Florida State every year for the next four years um, before it potentially resets again. But um, it, it's. I looked at. The, I took a peek at the schedule today when I was sitting in, in 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 line to pick up my daughter, waiting for an hour. I don't know how you do that every day. God bless you. I don't know how long your waits are, but mine was literally an hour. But it, it used to be like that. But uh, now that they've opened the bridge from my house to where my daughter's school goes, it's a little quicker. And 30, 40 minutes at most. All right. Uh, this is the schedule uh, for those of you wondering. Miami of Ohio, Saturday, September second. Uh, Texas A and M, uh, Saturday, September 9th. Those are the first. Uh, what probably will be the first two games of the year. Um, there's an open date on the 16th, which Miami hasn't scheduled an FCS opponent yet. They obviously still have to do that. 
they get uh, te- at Temple September 23rd. Uh, Temple's not having a great year, but I don't know if you've been paying attention to my true freshman report, but Kurt Warner's son, EJ, is the quarterback there. He just threw for, I think, 486 yards and three touchdowns. The team didn't win, but good quarterback for Temple. Uh, and then you got at Florida State, you got at Boston College, you got at North Carolina, at NC State, home versus Louisville, home versus Clemson, home versus Virginia, and home versus Georgia Tech. I think that schedule is pretty good, especially now when you say to yourself, got to go beat Drake May on the road. Uh, NC State's had a pretty good season. I know that they got upset by Boston College. That's not an easy place to go and play. I'll say Uh, it's tougher than this year's. Yeah, Louisville, uh, you know, they kind of turned their season around, even though they lost to Clemson last week. I mean, they were headed down a dark path. Looks like Satterfield's going to stick there. Uh, Clemson is never easy. Um, and then, you know, Florida State, they, they've had a good year. You have to give them credit. And then Texas A&M, I know Jimbo's had a shit show over there this year, but uh doesn't mean they're not talented. doesn't mean they might not uh, be able to turn things around next year quickly with some changes to that staff. So not an easy schedule, right? I mean, of those games, which one do you think is the toughest right now on paper? Well, listen, Florida State just kicked our ass 45 to three. So I'm going to put them at the top of the list just because uh, that was disgusting. And, and they, they need to come back and, and show some life next season at Doak mm-hmm. Campbell to, to redeem themselves a little bit. But uh, of course, Clemson, uh, although it's at Hard Rock, we remember the last time Clemson was down here at Hard Rock uh, in an important situation, right? And they, mm-hmm. they drubbed our coach right out of the stadium. So, um, you know, aside from the two obvious ones, I think NC State is always a tough game. Uh, NC State's a really good program now. MJ Louisville, Morris is a good quarterback for them, by the way. Yeah, he's, he's a young guy. He'll be a lot better next year. Um, Louisville will be tough. Uh, you know, it's, it's man, it's an overall tough schedule. And I think if Texas A&M, if they get a quarterback, they get a Tyler Van Dyke. If Texas A&M gets Tyler Van Dyke, let me tell you something. Watch out. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting schedule. Um, anyway, just a, a kind of a fun little thing to do here as we head into these last two games. Um a lot of different topics. I asked for some mailbag questions on Twitter. I don't know how many we ended up getting. I got to check it out now um, and see who actually responded to some to my request. There may not have been many responses because we're doing this mid-afternoon. Usually we do it at night. Um, all right. This is from uh, Andrew V on Twitter. It'll be un, uh, underscore Andrew V. Underscore yeah, so, so now Andrew Farelli has gone from Andrew F to Andrew V. It's Varelli now. This guy's switching his names and just getting more yes, extra questions. He's changed it up. Uh, if you had your choice, would you rather go five and seven or six and six this season? Five and seven would mean starting a roster purge earlier because the season over season is over. Six and six would look better. And then there would be more practices for the team to prep for a bowl game. Andrew, I think this one is, uh, I mean, it's almost automatic. You want to go six and six. The roster purge is happening no matter what, buddy. Like it's not going to, it's going to happen <laughs> one way or the other. They may not have a very deep team for the bowl game, but I don't think anybody cares about that. I think Mario right. just wants to get some practices in with his kids. Yeah. I think for me, I was talking about this on my podcast last week. If they miss a bowl game, I'm not going to be upset because at the end of the day, like you said, how many guys are actually going to participate in the bowl game? Do you want to run your young guys out there and risk injury? Um, yeah. You get 15 practice with what 30 guys on the team. Is it really worth it? Can you just get right into the off season and start looking at the portal and looking at the things you want to do with your roster? But I mean, if they go six and six and get a bowl game, I'm not going to be upset either. So I'm good either way. All right, this is from Alex Perry, A. Perry, 1927. Has Miami broken ground on their new facilities yet? When do they expect the construction to complete? Well, Alex, I uh, I, I don't think they've started uh, opening ground yet on anything. I think they, they're probably planning, and, and there's uh, certainly a lot of uh, artwork and sketches and things and plans in the process, but I don't think they've officially started breaking ground yet. 
Uh, that may happen after the season when the team no longer needs the practice fields and they can start, um, you know, planning uh, where they're going to be doing things and, and, and whatnot. Um, I know, I know that they've said to me in the past, it'll probably be three or four years before any of this stuff is completed in terms of the full completion of the facility. So, uh, and, and they're, and the, they're still raising a lot of money for it. I know they're still in that process as well. Um, all right. This is from Brian Haley underscore Brian Haley on Twitter over under one and a half picks for kitchens this week. Uh, probably under <laughs> my guess is, uh, Clemson is going to try to run the ball down Miami's throat and West only because DJ Ungalele can't throw a pass 30 yards. We Ungalele. That guy, um, ukulele, yeah. ukulele, right? Whatever you want to call him. Um, I, I, I look. It's very hard to get an interception in college football. DJ had some great opportunities because they kept going to the same receiver over and over. I don't think Clemson's look. They win with Will Shipley and they run with their quarterback running the ball. Uh, they don't, and they don't overwhelm teams either. You go back and you look at their schedule this year. It's not like they blew out a bunch of teams. Every game is close. They're, they don't have the kind of offensive and explosiveness to do that. I know our, our buddy Kelvin Harris. Uh, is predicting a Miami upset on the road. I can't see that happening, but I also can't see Miami getting run out of the building this week. I think I think there's a couple freshmen on this team and, and young guys that want to play in this game and show something, and I think they could. Yeah, I think this game is a little dangerous. <clears throat> I think it, <clears throat> excuse me, it could get out of hand if this team isn't sound fundamentally and isn't able to stop the run. It, it all starts with being able to stop Will Shipley and start stop uh, DJ Ukulele in the run game. If you're able to do that and you force them to throw the ball 40 times throughout the game, you give yourself a really good shot because that's not their forte. That's not what they're looking to do. They're looking to run the ball, control clock, and beat you with their defense, and their defense is very good. Um, I think the way Notre Dame beat them was just like you said. They, they ran the ball extremely well, and the teams that have done well against uh, against Clemson this year have run the ball very well. So I think that plays into what the offensive identity for the Hurricanes is going to be moving forward. If they can move the ball on the ground and give Ja'Curry Brown the opportunity to just take a couple shots down the field and land them, then it could be a close game. If, if they're not able to run the ball, then it's going to be a long day. Um, Like I said, Kelvin is picking an upset. This is another uh, reader. Kelvin's, Kelvin's picked a win every every game. That doesn't matter. They're supposed count. to go 15-0. This is from Spurgeon's Cigar. That's S-P-U-R-G-E-O-N-S Cigar on Twitter. It says, although Clemson isn't a world beater, is there a better chance of pigs flying than for us to go into Death Valley and upset Clemson. What would it take to get it done? I'm feeling delusionally optimistic after a win against the almighty G tech. Um, it would take a near flawless performance by this team. If not flawless. Yeah. I think, I think they'd have to win the turnover battle probably by at least three to have a chance to win this game at least. And they'd have to run for at least 275 yards. This is from Savino 36 M Savino. In addition to the running backs, offensive line, not being a great fit for the offense, the tight ends, wide receivers weren't either. Those Michigan offenses used big tight ends and wide receivers in the run game on end of rounds and bubble screams. Not a surprise. Their offense is doing better. Once Ladson young got up to speed. You agree with that? Um, I think that's what Clemson, I mean, what Michigan lacked was speedier wide receivers. Yeah. They had bigger guys in the outside, but I, I think, think he meant they- size for blocking. Right. And and I think what they lacked in their offense as a whole to make it more explosive was deep threats, a receiver and a quarterback that can get him the ball, which is what Josh Gaddis was really excited about early in the season. As far as the tight ends are concerned, I think our tight ends are really good and they could they, they are better pass catchers than the Michigan tight ends. Uh, they're not as good, as you said, blocking wise. But I think Jaleel Skinner will be once he gets some weight on him because he's an effective blocker now. Dominic Mamorelli is a solid blocker, but he's not going to be probably in the long term 
plans in terms of uh, the tight end sets. You know, when you get Elijah Arroyo back, he can do both. He's really good at both. He's got good size. I think Will Mallory's a great receiver, but he's a terrible blocker, and that's been the issue there with the tight ends. But um, I think the the mix of this talent on offense at the skill positions, all it's lacking really is is a consistent play, a quarterback, and a better offensive line. If you can get that, the skill positions to me, with uh, Colby Young emerging, Frank Ladson being the underneath guy, and then starting to incorporate a Brashard Smith and Restrepo getting back to it, and then adding some more guys over time, I think it'll be really explosive. And here's maybe the final question we'll do today, Carlos, because you and I are busy humans. Um, this is from Thor's Hammer Shot, Thomas, on uh, Twitter. I love that name, Thor's Hammer Shot. Um, would you rather keep Gaddis and see how the O develops in year two or hire a new offensive coordinator and learn a new offense? Which would be the third and third years? I prefer to keep Gaddis, says Thomas. Listen, I, I think... Like we talked about, I think a lot of what happened with Josh Gaddis earlier this year is one, the quarterback struggled two he was still learning his personnel and three, he had a lot of injuries up front on the offensive line. Um, and then eventually in the running back room as well. And I think he's starting to get settled in now with this personnel grouping and understanding what he can and can't do. Um, I think he comes back. If he comes back for a second year, I would anticipate the offense being better, especially since we're upgrading the offensive line talent. But at the end of the day, I think, in my mind, I think Gaddis wants to bounce as quickly as possible because this uh, this season has dragged down his his cachet a little bit in the free agent market of uh, being a head coach down the road. So he'll either bounce to another Power 5 program or could be an offensive coordinator and, and get his cachet back up or bounce to a head coaching job somewhere. And I think if he does that, to me, the best thing to do would be just to elevate Frank Ponce because he's been with the offense. That was sort of the idea, I, I think to bring him on as a quarterback coach and, and have him leave Appalachian State as their offensive coordinator, to have him as sort of the OC and waiting should Gaddis leave, because we all understood that Gaddis wasn't here for the long term. His, his ideal goal was to be a head coach. So to me, if Gaddis leaves, I think you have Frank Ponce and you have sort of the same offense with a little bit of some tweaking, some additional uh, things thrown in there, his own flavor to it, and I think it keeps that consistency with the quarterbacks as well. I, I agree with the sentiment of his take here that in, in a perfect world, you don't hit the reset button. You have the same coordinator come back and you run a similar offense. But I think your response is sort of a perfect fit to it in the sense that if if uh, Gaddis decides to leave because he's got a better job elsewhere, a head coaching job, coordinator, whatever it is, and he doesn't feel like he's really a fit here, then I think promoting Frank Ponce is probably the smartest move so you can have a little bit of continuity because Ponce is a guy who will run the ball. He will run the ball the way Mario wants to. He was part of that Appalachian State uh, slash Louisville system with Satterfield that involves athletic quarterbacks playing. And I want to see Chikari Brown run this offense with an offensive line. Give him a chance to throw the football. I know some people were criticizing his downfield throws, and that's fine. I mean, we knew that when he came in here that he was going to have to work on his touch and, and, and become a little bit more accurate. But I think his ceiling, uh, what he could become uh, in terms of a dual threat. Miami, I mean, we got a taste of it with De'Ara King, but De'Ara King was small. Yeah. This is a guy who's 6'4", 215 pounds, could be 225, 230, and an NFL-type arm. I mean, he can throw it down the field. He's got arm strength. Yeah, It's can he make the right decisions and get the ball in the tight windows and – I think he could get there. I think those are things he can improve. He's already improved a lot from the guy that I first saw him. Hell, he's a lot better than anybody else seemed to really think, right? Those people who were yep. saying uh, that he'll never play quarterback here. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind if Gaddis came back with, with an offensive line running his system. But if he goes, 
I don't know that the play caller is as important as the overall scheme and the approach. And I don't think Mario is going to change his approach. I don't think all of a sudden they're going to go five wide and throw it 70 times a game. That's just not who he is. So um, let's yeah, and see. I think I think the perfect comparison point for, for Jakari Brown moving forward is Hendon Hooker. I think you saw Hendon Hooker be what he was at Virginia Tech. And when he transferred to Tennessee, you said, this guy will never be a really good quarterback, right? And then eventually you see what he's done this season. And I think Jakari could take a similar path maybe accelerate that a little bit. And I think the the advantage of elevating Frank Ponce, like you said, is not only the consistency and the continuity with the quarterbacks and the offense, but Frank is going to add his own elements to that offense and change it up a little bit to fit his personnel and his scheme a little bit better. Uh, for one thing, I think he's really good at incorporating um, the running backs in the passing game. He's going to use more outside zone stuff, which is something that they use a lot at Appalachian State at Louisville. And uh, if you go back to some of the tape from Appalachian State last year, especially that game against Coastal Carolina, he knows how to scheme up deep balls and scheme guys open down the field. And I think he does that a little bit better than Gattis. All right. We will see what happens. Carlos, any final thoughts as we wrap this episode up and uh, look forward to Saturday? Where are you going to be watching the game? Same place I always watch it, baby. In the backyard. (laughs) Cigar in hand, beer in the other. I will be flying up back to Atlanta on Friday to go watch the Canes in person. I'm actually going to stop by uh, Buford High School, the old high school where uh, Jeff Simpson won several state championships and sort of launched a uh, a big program and go watch Buford play. It's about an hour and a half away from Clemson. Uh, and then I'll go watch the game on Saturday at 3.30. And then uh, the final week of the regular season waits. We've got Pittsburgh at home. It's going to be a night game. It's an 8 o'clock kickoff. Um, you know, it's an important game for Miami to finish the season on a positive note, send the right kind of messages. But the next couple of weeks, Carlos, are going to be busy between the wrapping up this recruiting class, the transfer portal, potential coaching changes. I know it's the holiday season and, and you know, we're going to be eating some turkey and, uh, you know, you and I will be eating some uh, some pork. Right. Um, but it's it's going to be a busy time. So uh, we will be back on the Wide Ride podcast to discuss all things Miami as the stories come across. Last week, we did a special bonus episode on Friday. If you missed that because you only download the podcast, uh, you can go to our YouTube page and check it out there. Um, just look up Wide Ride podcast with Manny Navarro and you'll find it. Uh, Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. Make sure you subscribe uh, to his podcast as well. Listen to his thoughts on a weekly basis. He joins me every week, sometimes twice a week, uh, to help his brother out. Yeah, no, yeah, no overtime. But that's all right. No overtime. We pay you in pork here. We will, uh, we will pay you in uh, pork. Carlos, thanks for coming on, man. And uh, we will listen and uh, we will watch this game and come back and listen to your questions next week. Peace. Peace.